Welcome to the Point Church Teaching Podcast. I'm Corey Ickes, one of the pastors here at Point Church in Fort Liberty. We seek to exalt Jesus and equip the saints through expositional preaching and teaching. I hope you're encouraged and uplifted from this week's teaching. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Chris and team. Um, my name is Josh. I'm one of your pastors here at Point Church, and um, I love being with y'all. I love that God has called me to teach uh, His Word. His Word is so good, so rich, and um, we are going to continue this morning in our Gospel of Mark series, our Gospel of Mark series, and um, so far in the book of Mark, uh, we have seen uh, Jesus' coming uh, announced and prepared by John the Baptist. We've seen Jesus baptized. We've seen him tempted. We've seen him cast out spirits, showing that he has authority, power over spirits, uh, evil spirits. We've seen him heal many people. And right now we are coming to the second chapter of Mark in our gospel series. And I just want to remind you, we really as pastors want all of you, everybody in here, to really get a good, firm grasp of the gospel of Mark. One, for your own edification, but also because you are our disciple makers, right? Like at Point Church, our primary evangelism strategy, our primary growing in Jesus strategy is our individuals making disciples and building other people up. So the reason I say that is that we want you to know Mark well enough that you feel comfortable just opening the book of Mark with someone who maybe is um, not as far along with you in the faith and teaching them, uh, pointing them to Jesus through the book of Mark. Does that make sense to everybody? All right, so uh, a couple of questions we're going to go back to uh, and try to answer uh, as we read and study the book of Mark are the two questions that Mark himself wanted to answer for his original audience. And those are, who is Jesus and what does it look like to follow him? So if you're taking notes, um, I've got like a Google document that I take notes in. As we preach through uh, this book, make notes of who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow him. All right? Now let me ask you a question. G-I-F. Who pronounced that jif? A jif, all right? All right? Okay? You are in the minority, okay? Uh, who pronounces that gif? All right? Gif. Like, you know, you're sending a text and you want to add like a little animated something, right? Um, well, why, now I don't know, not everybody has to answer, why, I, I've seen this one, uh, this one gif, um, all right, I'll, I'll get together with those that are in minority, all right, I've seen this one gif of a guy eating popcorn really fast, you know, eating popcorn. Now, why would you want to send a, a gif like that, eating popcorn? Where do you ever see that? All right. Yeah, drama unfolding. That's very good. So on your neighborhood Facebook group, right? <laughs> so that might be a good place to add that gif, right? It's because you're, you're cramming that popcorn. You know something is good. There's some controversy going on. There's some drama happening, okay? Well, um, you guys, that's what we're getting into right here in Mark chapter 2. We got five 
what uh, scholars call controversy stories. All right? So get your popcorn ready. Okay? All right? Five controversy stories, conflict stories, where Jesus, he is challenging expectations. He is challenging traditions, the religious tradition of his people. Jesus loved to ruffle feathers and to challenge unbiblical assumptions and beliefs that people have. And that's what we've got here. And the point is not just to ruffle feathers, right? Like some people, they go online and they just say provocative things just because they're like, okay, any attention is good attention for my brand, right? That's not what Jesus was up to, right? He challenged these these assumptions because they needed to be corrected. They needed to be dismantled. And in this section, as well as the next four that come after it, he had something very important to say. They're also called pronouncement stories, pronouncement stories. So in the first eight chapters of the book of Mark, uh, Jesus is in Galilee and he's teaching about the kingdom of God and he's demonstrating his authority. So that's the broad brush. We're in that big section, right? Kingdom of God, Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God, demonstrating his authority, challenging expectations. And right here, he starts with this series where, um, you know, you've got your popcorn, you're, you're, you're wanting to know what happens as he challenges these folks. And uh, so let's read together Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And I just want to remind you, if you or your friends, maybe some folks that you bring, I hope that we're uh, developing relationships to the point, pointing people to Jesus to the point where they, they are sensing a, um, a desire to come with you to worship with the body of Christ. We've got blue Bibles back there. John Marie, hold up one of our blue Bibles, all right? Your friends can take one of those. If you forgot yours, they can grab it, all right? Mark chapter 2 is on page 488, all right, in that Bible if you need one. So um, let's, um, let's read these 12 verses. And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no room, no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Interesting, Jesus is always preaching the word to him, a priority of his. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And they could not get near him because of the crowd. They removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Wild, huh? Can you imagine that scene? I mean, this is a first century house. There's probably an exterior staircase that leads up to the roof. These guys are removing like, you know, grass and and mud, lowering their friend right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, term of endearment, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. For who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Which is it? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, 
I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is our Jesus. This is the one that we sing to. And the big idea today is that only Jesus has authority over sin and only Jesus is worthy of your deepest love and daily obedience. Only Jesus has authority over sin and is worthy of your deepest love and daily obedience. Now why is this why is this important to us? A lot of us are very familiar with the why here, right? Like, why do we need forgiveness of sin? Why do we need to read this scripture? Well, obviously, forgiveness is our greatest need, right? That's one of the reasons why Jesus, why he surprised this paralytic man and didn't say, you know, maybe like what he was expecting, rise and walk, but he said, son, your sins are forgiven. It's because our greatest need is forgiveness of sin. But I want us to think about not just the characters in this passage, but we have to remember that Mark himself had a purpose. Mark himself had an audience, right? In the first century, he was most likely writing to Christians in Rome. And the situation for Christians in Rome at that time was not good, and it was going to get worse. So this was a, a church of Christians in Rome that were struggling, that were struggling. They were being persecuted. Following Jesus is hard. Is that not true today? Following Jesus is hard. And if you have not followed Jesus, then it will be hard. All right, It will be hard. So why do we need to hear this message today? It's because you and I need to be reminded that Jesus is worthy of our deepest love. That Jesus is worth following one more day. One day at a time. This encouraged the Roman Christians who were under persecution at that time and I pray that it encourages us today. Only Jesus has authority over sin, over sickness, and He is worthy of your daily obedience and your deepest love. So why didn't Jesus heal the man's paralysis first? I already gave you a sneak, uh, uh, sneak peek into the answer, right? Well, I want you to think about, like, to the modern mind, to our mind, it kind of seems irrelevant, right? If a man is coming for healing, if someone is sick, like the forgiveness of sin, that does it's like, what, what do those two have to do with one another, right? That's our modern mind, right? That's how we think, right? But think about the original audience, not just the audience of uh, the Gospel of Mark, but the people that were there, the crowds, you know, uh, 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 just in front of the door and filling the room and the four that had let their friend down, first century minds to first century people, especially the Jews and those attendants in this time, there would have been a very close connection 
between physical sickness and the forgiveness of sin, like spiritual sickness. Now, Jesus, it's not always the case, right? Jesus, he, he comes down on the disciples who assume that a man has been blind since birth in John chapter 9, uh, that he was, um, he, they say to him, now, now Jesus, Rabbi, uh, who sinned that this man has been born blind, this man or his parents, right? So there was a Jewish assumption and sometimes a good assumption that people's sickness was a result of their sin. So was that the case here? Possibly, very possibly. Possibly this man, his paralysis was a result of his own mistake, his own sin. And so for Jesus to say your sins are forgiven is almost like saying, all right, let's take care of the biggest thing first, the basic thing first, right? Let's dig to the foundation. You need to have your, for, your sins forgiven, then we can take care of the paralysis. Maybe, maybe that's what it was like. And for the first century person, this would not have been strange, right? This would not have been strange. Uh, uh, King David, uh, Chris re- read from David's psalm earlier, but there's another psalm in Psalm 41 that associates um, sickness and sin. As for me, David said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me. Why? For I have sinned against you. So I don't think we're wrong to interpret, to interpret this right here. But the biggest thing the biggest thing that we need to see is that Jesus here is provoking a reaction from these people. Not just the scribes, but even the paralytic. He is full of surprises, Jesus is. Full of surprises. And it's as if this man, Jesus comes up to him and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now imagine if you were that paralytic, right? You'd been paralyzed for a long time. Your life had been completely changed. You know, maybe you you hadn't been paralyzed all your life, and you remember when you were able to get around by yourself. Maybe you're just humiliated by the fact that you can't even get to Jesus, but you've got to have your friends lower you through the roof. You are completely helpless. And the paralytic, on hearing that his sins have been forgiven, says, that's, that's nice, Jesus. That's really, that's great. But do you see these legs? Like, do you see I'm on this mat laying down, right? Like, I've got a more urgent need, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you don't. No, you don't. You need to have your sin forgiven. I can heal your body, and it'll last for a lifetime. But if I heal your soul and give you friendship with God, that will begin now and never end. Brothers and sisters, forgiveness of sin is your greatest need. Forgiveness of sin is my greatest need. Think about why, right? Why? Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve. Genesis 3. They're, 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 all of their needs are provided for, right? 
What is their relationship with God like? In Genesis 3.18, after they've sinned, God comes walking through the garden in the cool of the evening. And they're not around. They're hiding, right? This is supposed to draw a contrast for us in our mind. Like, what should usually be happening? Well, Adam and Eve, they're walking with God Almighty in the garden. That's what it's supposed to be like. We are made by God and for God. And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in Him. And sin, we're told, separates us from God. So that we can't walk with God like we're supposed to. And brothers and sisters, if, we, if our time on earth is up, and we are still without forgiveness of sin, separated from God, then that status, that condition of being separated from God, that's an eternal state. But what God wants is what we see in the garden. Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the night. We need this forgiveness because Without it, we're separated from God. We're, 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 we're apart from our purpose of our life, which is to be with God so that He can then send us out on mission. This is the reason we are here to have a relationship with God, to be on mission with Him while we are on earth. But also, it's dangerous If we remain in that state, it's an eternal state, not to mention if we do not have forgiveness of sin, we'll miss out on a deeply satisfying and powerful life. Jesus says that He came to give us life, abundant life. In Psalm 16, verse 11, uh, we read, You make known, God, God, You make known to me the path of life. You make known to me the path of life. Do you need to know what path your life should take? It comes by uniting with God. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Just another benefit of having your sins forgiven and being united with God by grace Through faith alone. Why is forgiveness of sin your greatest need? For all of these reasons, folks. We were meant to have a relationship with God, to walk with God. Now, forgiveness of sin may not be our most evident need. It may not be our only need or the need that we feel is greatest, but if you are to believe, if I am to believe Jesus and His Word, then forgiveness of sin is our greatest need. Does that make sense to everybody? What does that mean for the people that you work with? Let's take it to the workplace. Now, some of you you have colleagues, you people that you, co-workers you work with. Uh, some of you teach. You're teaching 
other people's children. You're teaching your children. There are people under your command, and they have all kinds of needs. Always they have needs, right? Are we supposed to help them be successful? Absolutely. Absolutely. Giving them direction, giving them purpose, giving them motivation, helping them with their immediate needs. But brothers and sisters, their greatest need is forgiveness of sin. And so that's why it's so significant that at the end of our services, we pray that we will all be sent out in power, in the power of Jesus Christ, because we are missionaries, folks. We are missionaries. And we've got to see the people that are around us, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, through the eyes of Mark chapter 2. Their greatest need is forgiveness of sin. Point number two, only Jesus has the authority to forgive your sin. Only Jesus. Only Jesus has authority to forgive your sin. Let's find again where Jesus, where the scribes respond to what Jesus has said. They say, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus responds and, and He says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I'm saying to this paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Blasphemy. we got to understand blasphemy, right? Blasphemy is a big deal. Blasphemy is a very big deal. It is irreverent, profane, false, um, uh, uh, angry, uh, untrue uh, uh, speech about God. And according to God's law in the Old Testament, what was the punishment for blasphemy? It was death. It's very serious. Very serious. What's interesting is that Jesus does not deny that only God can forgive sin. What does He do? He asks them a question. He asks them a question. He says, which is it? Which is easier? To say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to pick up your bed and walk? And you guys, we've got to kind of think through the lens of the first century scribe, right? They want authority. They want attention. They want to be seen as the ones with the answers, right? So what's easier to say? And I think that's a key word there. What's easier to say? Think about that. What's easier to say in that moment? What is, what is less verifiable in that moment? Least, least easy, hardest to disprove in that moment. The hardest to disprove in that moment is your sins are forgiven. That's easy. Maybe the scribes, maybe that was what they were saying in their hearts. You know, that's one way to interpret it. Hey, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Whatever, you know, I mean like, okay, your sins are forgiven, you know? And what Jesus says, it's almost like he says, I get it, you know, forgiveness of sin it, it is not instantly verifiable, right? But... So you know that not only do I have authority 
to raise this man and give him healing, but I also have authority, power to forgive sin. Watch this. That sin, that, that, that sickness this man has that you probably think is associated or a product of his, of his sin, I'm going to heal that. I'm taking care of that too. So in a strange way, there's a lesser to greater argument here. It's like, okay, if, if Jesus can heal this man's sin, then you can trust that he also has authority to forgive this man's sin. Authority. Folks, this is a very important idea that we want to get across, that Mark is trying to get across in this passage. Barry preached a great message last week. Great message last week. One of the the, the main points was surrender to Jesus' authority. Authority. Well, let's, let's, I want to explain to you kind of what authority means, right? Authority. Like, why didn't he just say power? Right? Maybe some translations say power. Authority is a little different than power, you know? It's like we know that it is, but it's like putting our, uh, the words on it, putting our finger on it is a little different, right? So authority, this word in the Greek, it's got at least three like, uh, facets, right? It's got this, this range of meaning, and they come together, all together right here in this moment. One is like right, like who has the right? Who has the right to forgive sins? Like It's almost like someone uh, giving a, a warrant you know, to a police officer, right? The judge gives a warrant, issues a warrant. They have the right to go in that house, right? Jesus has the license. He has the warrant. He has the right to forgive sins, right? It also means power, power, power to affect change, power to, to complete an action. Jesus has that kind of power. But also, it's like the sphere of power, like jurisdiction, right? Anybody, everybody get that? Jurisdiction? Like, this is Jesus' space, right? This is Jesus' jurisdiction. Forgiveness or condemnation. He has authority over that. So the conclusion is that Jesus has the right, the power, the jurisdiction to forgive or condemn Only Jesus has the authority over sin. The authority to forgive sin. This is echoed all throughout Scripture, right? Acts 4.12, a lot of you will be familiar with this. This is something that we need to make plain to the people around us who do not know Jesus. Acts 4.12, and there is no, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You see, sometimes we think that our greatest need or other people's greatest need around us is like physical, uh, emotional, uh, material, uh, economical, mental. The greatest need is forgiveness of sin. It's actually spiritual. And Jesus is the only one who can meet that need. So forgiveness of sin is our greatest need. Only Jesus has authority as the Son of Man. The Son of Man is Jesus' favorite term for Himself. It comes from Daniel 7, where Daniel was given a vision of this, this Messiah, this deity figure who met the Ancient of Days, right? God, Elohim, Yahweh. And He was given dominion, power, and authority over everything. 
Jesus echoes this in Matthew 28 before He leaves the earth. Before He gives all of us the commission to go and make disciples, what does He say first? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. The Son of Man has authority. Now, I said earlier that the um, second big question in the book of Mark that Mark is answering for us is, what is it like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to follow Jesus? Now, when you're reading your scriptures alone or with a group or with your kids, you always want to look for good examples to follow in scripture, right? That's one of the things we look for, examples to follow. Well, this paralytic man is a good example to follow, and we're going we're gonna, to uh, zoom in on what he does in the beginning here, verses 3 and 4, and it shows us what the first step of following Jesus is like. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. The first step is simply coming to Jesus. Saving faith takes action. Jesus Jesus saw their faith. Can Jesus see the faith in our hearts, through our hearts? Absolutely. But there's another dimension to this, right? We can see this man's faith because he has come to Jesus. That's the first step, is that we turn away from our path. We turn away from a sinful, godless path. Well, not a godless path, a path where we are God. And we turn to Jesus. This is the idea of repentance. And we come to Jesus like this man. How would you describe how this man's condition when he came to Jesus? Was it in strength? Was it in confidence? Was it in pride? Mm-mm. This man was broken. Broken. And that's how we come to Jesus. Completely empty-handed completely empty-handed. We come to Him with all of our fear, all of the evil, darkness, bitterness in our hearts, all of it. And we have nothing to bring, no reason to be forgiven. We come to Him crippled, broken, helpless, paralyzed. That's the only way to come to Jesus. The only way to come to Jesus. We come to Him with our need. Saving faith, it takes action. It turns away from selfish, selfish, sinful path and moves toward Jesus for forgiveness. So that's the first step of what it looks like to follow Jesus. But what does this man do after he's healed? What does he do? Let's go uh, to verses 10 through 12. Jesus heals the man. Uh, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And what did the man do? He rose and immediately picked up his bed 
and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God. The ongoing step of following Jesus is daily obedience. Daily obedience. Surrendering to His authority and doing what He says. Living life God's way. Now that's really easy to say, right? Am I the only one? Raise your hand if you sometimes have problems obeying Jesus daily. Hey, okay, I'm not the only one. Thank goodness the preacher is not the only one who has obedience problems from time to time. Uh, John 14, 15. Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you have an obedience problem, then you have a love problem. Does that make sense? If you have an obedience problem, you might also have a problem seeing just how much you've been forgiven, right? Uh, The lady who comes to Jesus, the, the woman of the city, the sinful woman, right? She comes to Jesus, she she cleanses Jesus' feet, wipes his feet with her tears and her hair. And the, the, the Pharisees are like, what? I can't believe, Jesus, you're letting this woman in your presence, especially to sit there at your feet and to, and to wash your feet with her hair and with her tears. This is like, this is wrong. This is, you shouldn't be near this sinful woman. And, the man, and, and Jesus tells this story, and the moral of the story is that if you are forgiven little, you love little. You love little. Now that's... That's the point of that sermon. The point of this sermon (laughs) is that if you have a love problem, if you have an obedience problem, you have a love problem. You see, the root cause for that obedience problem is not your willpower. It's not your lack of discipline or commitment. The root issue is a lack of affection for Jesus in our hearts. Man, when the Lord convicts me of my sin, and He shows me, Josh, your first love right now, your deepest love right now is not me. Otherwise, you would obey me. That cuts deep. And it should. It should pierce our hearts. Obedience, you see, is a fruit of personal affection for Jesus before it is a matter of personal commitment to Jesus. We cannot allow, brothers and sisters, we cannot allow ourselves, we cannot allow other people, we cannot allow other interests, other goals, other things to occupy the throne of our hearts where only Jesus belongs. You can think about this as the dethroning of Jesus in our hearts. You see, our place is on the altar of sacrifice, and Jesus' place is on the throne of our hearts. Does that make sense? But so often, we want to climb up from the altar onto the throne, and we let the allure, the attraction, the appeal of something else or someone else Steal the throne from Jesus. 
you call this dethroning of Jesus in our hearts, the Bible term is idolatry. So, how do we depose idols from the throne of our heart? The throne that belongs to Jesus. There's this guy, this Scottish preacher, who lived in the um, uh, 18th and 19th century. His name is Thomas Chalmers. Or Chalmers, I don't know how he said it. Thomas Chalmers, we'll call him Thomas Chalmers. Um, he was a political economist, uh, economist, some people say. He, is, uh, he was a, a pastor, he was a, a professor of theology, um, and, and he poses this question, right? Idolatry has always been an issue, even in the 18th century, right? He poses this question. If you have access to all the latest technology in the world, all the latest machinery in a sophisticated science lab, what would be the most effective way to get all the air out of a glass beaker or a glass Chemex? You start to think about, like, okay, all the, all the technology, like all the latest machinery, and you start thinking about how can you vacuum this out? Like, what is it going to take, right? What is it going to take? And you're racking your brain, and, and uh, some of you already got it, right? The way to get all the air out is to fill it with water. To fill it with water. How do we dethrone Jesus? Or how do we dethrone or depose idols in our hearts, in our minds, we fill our hearts and mind with Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We sing it from time to time in here. We behold Jesus. Moms and dads, grandparents, aunts and uncles, you know what it means to behold if you have ever found yourself just watching your children sometimes. Just admiring. Just adoring. That's what it means. That's what it means to behold Jesus. To study Him. To study Him. To study all of His goodness. All of His greatness. To fix your eyes on Jesus. So that the Holy Spirit can create in you an intense affection that is so strong for Jesus there's no room for anyone or anything else on the throne of your heart. Does that make sense? D raise your hand if that's how you want to be. If you want your heart to be so in love with Jesus, so enamored with Jesus, so adoring Jesus, that every day you wake up and you say, this is going to be a good day, this is going to be a hard day. Joys and struggles they run through my life just like rails in a, in a train tracks, right? Nevertheless, Jesus, I love you. Only you have authority over sin and over my life. And I'm going to follow you today. Thomas Chalmers, he, he wrote this book called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Not the explosive power of a new affection, but the expulsive power of a new affection. That's how a love for Jesus works in your heart. It expels everything else. John Piper wrote a foreword to uh, a new edition of uh, Thomas Chalmers' book, and he says it like this, 
God is vastly more worthy of the heart's attachment, thus awakening a new and stronger affection that displaces the former affection for the world. And that corresponds to the pouring water into the beaker to displace the air. Hence, the expulsive power of a new affection. You see, folks, obedience is the overflow of a heart that is filled to the full with adoration for Jesus. Saving faith takes action. It obeys Jesus. It turns away from a sinful way. It moves to Jesus for repentance. And then it moves out. It moves out in obedience, on mission for Jesus. And the way we make sure that there's a a want to in our hearts to obey Jesus daily is to be with Jesus, to behold Jesus. An author that I like, he leads all of the church planting for Baptists in the country uh, right now, Um, Vance Pittman. He says, when I realized... I, when I, re- I realized this thing that, that, that completely changed my life, he says, I realized that my primary calling is not to do something for Jesus, obedience, mission, plant churches, raise children. My primary calling is to be with Jesus. And from there, the overflow of obedience is just natural. Well, I'm going to land the plane just a second. We're going to sing a song, Revelation song. The words go like this, filled with wonder, awestruck wonder at the mention of your name. That's my prayer today. Jesus, your name is power, breath and living water. Such a marvelous mystery. Wonder, awestruck wonder. That's where we need to be. Because we know forgiveness is our greatest need. Only Jesus, the Son of Man, has authority to forgive it. And saving faith takes action. It repents, it moves toward Jesus for forgiveness, and it moves out with Jesus in obedience on mission. Let's stand and pray together. Let's bow our heads. I want you to take a second just to think about where you are. Where do you find yourself in this story, in this sermon? Are you being challenged? Like I was challenged preparing for this sermon. Like the scribes were challenged. Are you surprised like like the scribes, like the paralytic man, like the crowds who walked away marveling. I've never seen anything like this. If you're feeling challenged, then that's part of Jesus' purpose. He wants you to have your authority in your hearts, your preconceptions, your assumptions. To, he wants them to be challenged, to be dismantled. And He wants you to see that you can trust Him. You can trust His authority. You may have been burnt before by authority. You may have been let down before by authority. Jesus is not that kind of authority. 
Jesus is not that kind of Lord or commander. He will not disappoint. You come here this morning after hearing this and saying, Pastor, Lord, I I want to turn back to you in obedience. That's so appealing to me. That's what I want. But God, I'm afraid of failing again. I've done this before. I don't have the willpower, the discipline. Well, as you sit there with your heads bowed and eyes closed, consider the disciples. One of the points of Mark's gospel is to show us how the disciples failed him and misunderstood him over and over again. Brothers and sisters, you're in good company. If that's where you are, afraid to commit the disciples, they didn't grasp his miracles. Their hearts were hard. They had little faith. They were perplexed by Jesus' miracles. They weren't able to fulfill his commission to cast out demons. Peter denied Jesus. Judas betrayed him. And they all fled when Jesus was captured. If you're afraid of commitment because of you know how weak you are, you're in good company. Come to Jesus like the paralytic, helpless, empty-handed. That qualifies you to follow Jesus. If you've got any other questions, hey, let's remove some rocks. Let's plow the soil together. The pastors want to talk with you. If you're ready to surrender to Jesus' authority today, to receive forgiveness of sin today and have the Spirit of God dwell inside of you, then God says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved because anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can call on God's name right now in repentance, moving away from sin toward Jesus expressing your faith in Jesus today. If that's something you want to do right now, we're going to pause. Pray in your heart right now. Turn to Jesus. Jesus, forgive me. You alone have authority to forgive sin. I believe that. I believe you are God. And I give you authority of my life, of my soul. I receive your forgiveness and your Holy Spirit. God, thank you for making your word, your authority, your place in our lives so clear today. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like to learn more about how you can be a part of what God is doing here at Point, connect with us at www.pointchurch.live. Thank you.